Good day, gentlemen. Hey, Lewis. Hey, Keith. It is a sunny day here in Colorado. Well, sunny-ish, but it's supposed to be sunny a little bit later. We got a little snow. Cold night. It's supposed to be 70 degrees tomorrow. It's a great time of year. Glad that you are with us, men, as we talk about manhood. Are you doing it? Are you ruling and subduing? Are you ruling over your household? Are you being productive? Are you becoming wise? All these things that we men are supposed to do. Uh, if you're newer around here, I'm referring to a uh, series I did a couple years ago called The Seven Core Responsibilities of Manhood. And uh, we're kind of incorporating those along the way. But uh, right now, we're mostly going through the book of Proverbs, a book written by a man, the wisest man who ever lived to his son or sons, and trying to teach him how to be wise. That's one of the things we need to do as men is become wise. So that's what we are doing. We're in chapter 10. Glad you are with us this morning. Keith has great music. Yeah, thank you. Uh, of course, you're not biased at all, are you? <laughs> so one of the things that I love about the Proverbs is it gets at, uh, how, how, how should I say this? Uh, Righteousness and wisdom is not simply an on-off switch in this book. Do you know what I mean by that? It's, it's not as simple as do this, don't do that. God doesn't like this. God does like this. Um, now, there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But what Solomon is doing is teaching and revealing a little bit more of the why and the impact and, and kind of appealing to our, our reasoning so that we understand why this is the way it is, why God set things up the way they are. Uh, and parenting, this is a good tactic. Uh, hey, Dale. Good morning, Matt. Uh, Matt, have you been on before? I don't recognize that name. If you have been, I, I apologize, but uh, great to see you pop up there. Glad you could join us. Um, so like we raised our kids with the, the sort of on-off switch when they were young. Right? The only thing that mattered was obedience when they were very little. They didn't have the ability to process and to reason and to discern why this action was better than the other, that kind of thing. All they knew is if I disobeyed dad, there were consequences I don't like. <laughs> and that's all we wanted them to learn. The very first Bible verse, I know this is going to shock some of you, um, uh, maybe, but the very first Bible verse we had our children memorize was Ephesians 6.1. Can somebody tell me what Ephesians 6.1 is? I know some of you are thinking, oh, it, it should have been John 3.16 or something like that. Nope. For my kids, it was Ephesians 6.1. Because we wanted them to understand from the earliest days, you have to obey dad. You need to have the fear of the dad <laughs> so we could transfer that to the fear of the Lord kind of thing. Plus, all the other things that we wanted to teach them, first, uh, they had to have a posture of learning and humility, and, and discipline was the way to do that. I don't see anybody... Popping up here with that. Ephesians 6 1 is children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. But as they got older, when they got to that age, uh, you know, preteen, early teenage years, when they start arguing against everything and, and they're starting to process, 
Uh, Dale says, kids, obey your dad. This makes God happy. Yeah, very good. You should write a paraphrase. Um, when they start really asking big questions and challenging assumptions, those kind of things, that's when we then started teaching them the whys. Why is this bad? Why is that wrong? Why is this right? What are the ramifications of doing the right and the wrong besides just uh, making dad unhappy, that kind of thing? And I'll say a lot of parents that I observe flip that around backwards and it's, it, it doesn't work out well. You know, they read books like uh, that talk about shepherding the hearts of children or, or whatever. And so you hear them reasoning with a three-year-old and a four-year-old trying to explain, you know, the, the, your brother doesn't like it when you throw that and hit him in the face. And, and, you know, this whole process, do you think that's a good thing to do? And, you know, the, the three-year-old doesn't understand any of those things. All he understands is, I did what I wanted. And now we're having a little discussion about it. Uh, so often what we do is we reason with the children when they're young and so we don't teach them the on-off switch of obedience. And then when they get old enough to start really doing some serious damage, that's when we bring the, the, the hammer down and try to you know, discipline more harshly. And it's too late. It, it doesn't work. Anyway, so there's your free parenting advice for the, for the day. If you have young kids, little kids, uh, I think you should make sure that the only thing that matters is obedience. And then as they get older, then you start teaching them and training their heart and and walking through. Well, Proverbs is written to adult sons. And so it's not simply God doesn't like that, although there is some of that in that Proverbs, but it's a lot of think through the ramifications of this and how God works uh, in the heart and so on. So that's what we're going to see here in Proverbs 10. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3. So verse 2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Let me say that again. Uh, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, one of the things you have to learn in uh, studying the Proverbs is the idea of parallelism. The second line usually explains the first either by being a direct antithesis, which is what we have here, or being synonymous, where it's repeating the first line with slightly different words. And there's a third type that we won't worry about now. But this one, you learn something about the first line from the second line. So you read this first line, it says, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. And your first thought might be, well, sometimes it does, <laughs> right? I mean, how many wicked people who are stealing money, profit from that. Whether it's through loopholes or, or coercion or whatever. I mean, I think it could be argued that the vast majority of the United States government officials, uh, elected officials are uh, <clears throat> profiting from wickedness. Uh, so at first glance, this proverb seems um, not true. But the second line helps you understand what Solomon is saying. Righteousness delivers from death. So the profit that he's concerned with here is not simply financial profit, although that may play into it. But it's the profit of rescuing you from death. Okay? So 
read the first line kind of that with that in mind. Treasures gained by wickedness do not deliver you from death. They don't have the ability. Instead, <clears throat> excuse me. In fact, just the opposite. <clears throat> Treasures gained by wickedness often lead to death. So let me ask you, what are some of the treasures gained by wickedness? What comes to your mind when you hear that phrase? The Hebrew literally is treasures, treasuries of wickedness. What are the treasuries of wickedness that men uh, might build up? And while I'm waiting for you to answer, I'm going to see if I can clear my throat. Hold on. <clears throat> ah, maybe another sip of delicious coffee will clear that out. So what do you think of, gentlemen? What's a, what are some of the treasuries of wickedness? What what are the, the wicked things that, <clears throat> that people pursue, that men pursue uh, in, in big, big numbers, big portions? Now, there's a little delay here. You're, I'm sure you're typing vigorously trying to answer this question. <laughs> well, one obvious one is money, right? Now, it's important that he calls it treasures of wickedness or treasures gained by wickedness. Matt says, uh, cheating on your taxes. Yeah. So he says treasures gained by wickedness, not not treasures themselves. As we've talked about, and we'll see it again and again in Proverbs, wealth is not sin. The New Testament doesn't say that, neither does the Old Testament. Uh, wickedness is, or, uh, wealth is not sin. And even uh, gaining wealth is not sin. Here the concern is you've gained it through wickedness. So, yeah, if you think you can uh, uh, save more money by cheating on your taxes. Uh, Dale says money, women, and prestige come to mind. Interesting. Yeah, those are exactly the top three that came to my mind as well. So through wicked gains. No, you didn't, Dale. You you got my question just right. Um uh, when you build up these treasures of money or the the treasures of sexual pleasure with women and or the power, those kind of things, that's exactly what I think Solomon's getting at here with treasures gained by wickedness. And all of them can lead to death, can't they? Right? If you are, uh, if you are cheating on your taxes, uh, here in the U.S. at least, uh, you know, billions of dollars have just been uh, approved to hire tens of thousands of IRS agents, and they uh, may show up at your door and tell you you've been caught cheating on your taxes. And it may not lead to the death penalty, but it can lead to financial ruin or jail time or, or something like that. So in that sense, it, it's kind of like death. It's a severe consequence. Uh, or if you're cheating somebody that has a hot temper out of money, uh, then depending on their resources, they might uh, they might find a way for you to uh, to be offed, right? What about women? Uh, obviously, there's there's sexual transmitted disease. Uh, there's provoking jealousy. Uh, you know, if you're cheating with a uh, and a married woman and her husband, that kind of thing. And even if, again, if it doesn't lead to actual death, the, the ruin for men and women, the, the constant trying to fight death, whether it's through medication or whatever, it, it can just lead to a, a disastrous 
life. Um, uh, prestige and power. Again, you, you, when you gain, it's one thing if you truly excel and you climb the corporate ladder or you build a business of your own or whatever, and you have that authority because you've earned it, that's great. But when you've done it through wicked and deceitful means, it usually will come back to bite you. Uh, yeah, Dale says it is quite, ex a divorce is quite expensive. Exactly. I really don't understand the incentive for an American man to get married today if he's not a Christian. Uh, there's just there's just no incentive. Um, you're eighty percent of divorces are initiated by women, and despite all the feminism nonsense and so on, the equality, you know, men always take the hit in the courts when it comes to divorce, uh, child support, and all that always goes one way or almost always. There are a few exceptions. Uh, yeah, it could be almost like death if you. Uh, and that doesn't mean every divorce is a treasure of wickedness, but if your if your criteria for pursuing marriage was not based on biblical principles, a lot of times it is wicked uh, means that kind of thing. Um, Matt says it can lead to being placed under the discipline by the Lord. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Lon says in the Old Testament pre-Christ, what kind of righteousness delivered from death? Uh, I think would be sort of the obvious, uh, the the opposite of what we're talking about here. Um, pursuing the right things, as in be faithful to your wife and don't pursue uh, women you're not married to. Uh, build wealth righteously, hard work, that kind of thing. Um, receive whatever authority and prestige you you earn through hard work and, and that kind of thing, but don't pursue it deceitfully and wickedly. People aren't going to come after you. Uh, death is not going to chase you if you are pursuing these things the right way. Now, again, these are proverbs, right? Generally speaking, they're true. There are exceptions and righteous people suffer, uh, whether it's God's providence, like with Job, and we find out there's that whole thing going on in, in heaven between God and Satan. Uh, and Job was not, uh, he didn't lose his wealth and his family and all that because he was unrighteous. So there are exceptions, of course. But generally speaking, if you pursue the things God tells us to pr pursue, hard work, uh, solid families, you know, being a good man, a righteous man, loving your wife, raising your children, uh, honest day's work, as as we used to say, right? Uh, those kind of things. Then it will deliver you from the kind of death and ruin that comes through wickedness. Does that make sense? Uh, Lon says, "Are we talking moral versus legal righteousness?" Um, uh, yes, if I understand your question correctly, yes. I mean, we can, we can make too sharp a distinction between those two, um, but, but yes, this would be actual behavior, pursuing the right things the way God tells us to. 
Verse 3 then says this, The Lord satisfies the appetite of the righteous, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. So this first line, does this sound like any other passage of scripture? The Lord satisfies the appetite of the righteous. What do you think? What other text comes to mind that there's this appetite for righteousness and the Lord will satisfy that appetite? Let me give you a moment while I go on here. But he thwarts the craving of the wicked. He thrusts it off, uh, literally. Uh, Matt says, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's good. That's a, a really good uh, parallel to both of these statements. It's not the one I was thinking of, but uh, that is a good one. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, right? If we are craving the things that please God, he's going to satisfy those cravings. Uh, Dale says, perhaps the appetite is filled by food without cost or by the one whose food is to do the will of his father. That's good. That's good. Lewis says, Philippians 1.11. Uh, you're going to have to type that out for me. All right, I'll, I'll look it up just, just for you. Philippians 1.11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's good. Yep. Uh, so the context here is I pray that your love will abound, that you'll be able to approve the things that are excellent, and that, that you are those who have been filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's good. That's good. It's not what I was thinking of. <laughs> Let me ask it again. Um, can you think of any New Testament passages that talk about a an appetite for righteousness or... What's another word for appetite? Um, let's see. When I have an appetite for something, I'm hungry. <laughs> so hunger for righteousness. <laughs> Socrates, I'm not, huh? <laughs> I'm thinking of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I think he's quoting from Solomon here. The Lord satisfies the appetite or the hunger of the righteous, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Wicked people are never satisfied. That's why they continue to pursue more wickedness because their, their yearnings, their cravings, they want more and more and more. It doesn't satisfy. But the person who pursues righteousness, God does satisfy. We are, well, and, and the Philippians passage is a good one. We, we are filled. When, when you are doing the right thing, you, you, you have this dissatisfaction, don't you? I remember my son and I were uh, talking through this uh, several years ago. And, you know, as he was uh, fighting temptation in a particular aspect of life, and by God's grace, he, you know, had, had victory and overcame it and, and walk, walked away from those desires. And we just talked about how sin is pleasurable or else we wouldn't pursue it. 
right? All those, the, the sins that we were talking about earlier. Uh, there is there is an element of of pleasure that we receive that the, the criminal receives, for instance, from stealing. Hey, he's got some money. Obviously, sex is pleasurable, even if it's sinful sex. Uh, that power and having people think that you're strong and mighty and all that, there, there's some pleasure there, but it's not satisfying because our consciences weigh us down. There's the fear of getting caught and the ramifications of all that. And we were talking, my son and I were talking about how when you walk in righteousness, there is a joy that actually feels better than the pleasure of sin. This is like when I, when I work with guys who are struggling with porn, if I can get them, that the Lord can get them to long stretches of not giving in to the temptation and fighting the desires of their heart and all that. And especially if they're married, then if they pursue their wife, after a time, the real, their wife, as opposed to the fake, the fantasy of porn, and the the clean conscience of walking in righteousness brings far greater pleasure than the sin did. Because the Lord is satisfying. Now they are pursuing righteousness and the Lord satisfies that. It's like when you're really hungry for something and, and you know, you, you're just kind of craving a delicious steak and you, it's, it's cooked to perfection and you get it. Ah, you're for a while, at least you're not craving anymore, right? It's satisfied. Well, righteous for those of us who love righteousness, who hunger for it, Walking in righteousness, actually doing the right thing, is satisfying. But those who pursue wickedness have the temporary pleasure, but it never satisfies. They want more and more and more and more and more kind of thing. Uh, Lon says, do you think those seeking moral righteousness will be led to the only true righteousness delivering from death, that is Christ? Um, I'm not, it, it seems like there's something behind what you're saying here, Lon, that maybe I'm not connecting with. We are called to per- pursue and seek moral righteousness. I- I'm not sure exactly the distinction you're making that, as opposed to immoral righteousness. I, we are called to pursue moral righteousness. That pleases the Lord. That's, that's the kind of hungering and thirsting that he's after is moral righteousness. Um, now You follow up here and say, Paul sought pharisaical righteousness with fervor, but God led him to Christ. Yes, I would say the pharisaical righteousness is a self-righteousness. And maybe that's the distinction you're trying to make. Self-righteousness that I'm the measure of all things is sin. But we are absolutely called to real uh, moral righteousness. That's what God wants for us. And when we come to Christ, what does he do? He sanctifies us. And he gives us now that new heart where we can pursue moral righteousness. Uh, we are to strive to do the right thing in, in every situation. Lon says, I'm wondering how moral righteousness can deliver from death. In the Old Testament, moral righteousness works, could not lead to life, could it? Um, yeah, it, I think maybe you're, you're, 
you're carving the systematic theology categories a little too starkly here. Uh, again, Proverbs is general truth. Uh, so the kind of death that, so if I, if I pursue wealth by stealing from my neighbor, then I am likely to get shot <laughs> or, uh, maybe more likely to be arrested and my life is ruined. That's the kind of death he's talking about here. If I pursue sexual pleasure with my neighbor's wife, I may get shot. I may ruin my life. Uh, I may destroy everything. So it, it's not actual death, but it's in that case, but my life is ruined. Uh, those kinds of things. However, on the, on the other side, if I, if I do the hard work to build wealth the way God tells me to, then I'm delivered. I'm not going to be shot by my neighbor, the guy I, I ripped off, that kind of thing. If I pursue my wife and sexual pleasure in the arena that God has sanctioned, I'm not offending my neighbor's wife, that kind of thing, or I'm not sleeping around with lots of women and running the risk of STDs and all that. That's the kind of death, the, the ruin and destruction of life. That Again, Proverbs is is largely dealing at a very matter-of-fact, down-to-earth, living life level. And so that's what I meant at the beginning. Uh, the Yes, we all will stand before the Lord and give an account, and you know, eternal life, eternal death hangs in the balance, and that's where the gospel and Jesus come in, of course. But Proverbs is largely written to the idea of living life and pursuing righteousness as God lays it out is the wise life and leads to, generally speaking, leads to prosperity and, and happiness and, and blessedness and all that and choosing sin in life in addition to incurring the wrath of God also leads to ruin and that kind of thing. So uh, you said, I see that makes sense. Good. I'm glad, uh, glad you're following. And that's why Proverbs is so great for just how to live life. Um, and I love this. It, the Lord says, uh, if you pursue righteousness, you'll be satisfied. He will, he loves to fulfill those cravings. Well, our time is up. Let me just tell you, gentlemen, tonight, today, tomorrow, Sunday, pursue righteousness, hunger for it and pursue the things he calls us to the right way. And it'll be a satisfying life and the Lord will be pleased. All right, have a great weekend. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you back here on Monday to continue in our study of Hebrews. Take care.